bit last night. Ah, don't worry, mate. It was too hot in the office. I just couldn't oh, get it's in early. Boiling. Yeah, I came up and opened window. Um, yeah. Right, here we go. Windows opens, fans on. <laughs> Space, final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, are Admiral Elliot. Kapla. And Dr. <laughs> Squee. Today is a good day to die. It is, because we are finally, finally, finally talking about Way of the Warrior. It's been sorry, our, sorry, our James, first you, episode. You're, you're breaking up as you say that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I said. <laughs> but yeah, Just we... think that's the only thing left to stop us talking about this episode. So that's it. Everyone... What down. the breaking news about uh, Walter Koenig. Yeah, don't <laughs> even joke, Elliot. Don't even joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we are phones off. Don't matter yeah. what happens in the world, we're we talking about Way of the Warrior. We have on now for the next hour. So what what were you doing for the uh, you know during the apocalypse? They ask us when we get to the afterlife. It's like well, funny you should say. We, were we talking, didn't know what was going on. We were talking about a really good episode of Star Trek. So just a Come bit on in. a bit of background on this on one before we get started. I just want to see how did you guys feel when you found out Worf was going to join DS Nine because it was it was unexpected at the time and it was it was big news. And I'm yeah, just wondering um, what your take on it was at the time. After you, Elliot. I was sort oh. of a bit, what's it going to be like with it? Are they, like, is it just going to be like next-gen Worf? And I think it was sometimes badly used in next-gen. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, DS9 has made Worf like the amazing character he is. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, they probably got the the best episodes with War. Um, oh, without we, a shadow of a doubt. And I mean, there, there are some. I just want to give some defense to the next generation that they did have, like you know, like the one where he um, uh, they came up with the whole ceremony of being dishonored. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There were some nice antecedents, like without without their groundwork, you don't get to DS Nine. I just want to give yeah. them more problems. Oh, there. yeah, there was some nice stuff, but I think also there was some. at times in next gen mm. yeah. so, so I'm like oh, does it and like we're three three years into DS9 and I was thinking does it really need a next gen character coming in that like um, we're quite well established by this point with our cast and mm. I mean I think you can tell that I'm like you know, so I, I want to say this without sounding like I'm having a dig, but like I think you can tell I'm a few years younger than Elliot. No, only because of this. Only because obviously he is a, a youthful looking man, but only because the difference in like he had this kind of intellectual thought process on I'm going, cool, Wolf's in more stuff. Because <laughs> I was a yeah. kid at the time. But still, you know, relatively teenager, early 20s, something like this. But um, but I must admit, the only thought I did have, my, my main worry was that, that he was going to do this and then he wouldn't be in the movies. Which mm. thankfully they kind of still included him, even though in some of them they like my favorite one was because usually they have to have a scene where it's like, Wolf, you what are you doing here? And it's like, oh look, it's the fight, it's coming to this battle. Cool, we'll be more for the survivors. All this kind of thing, which was great. 
And in the third one, or the final one, I think it was, when Picard just goes, uh, off you son of a gun, what are you doing here? And then it cuts away to someone else before he can yes. say. Yes, <laughs> insurrection, yeah. They just could not be bothered. Genius. So, oh, sorry, we'll just, we'll just imagine just that it. they came up with something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think the fourth one he just shows up, doesn't he? Oh, he's well, there the, the first way. one it was sort of like he was getting the lift between one star base and another <laughs> yeah. star base. Yeah, it didn't. So we were on his route. And then Nemesis, it didn't matter because DS9 had finished, so... Plus he was invited to a wedding. Yeah, so we let that yeah. one Although go. Although he had left Starfleet by the end yeah. of DS9. Yeah, but... they had him in dress uniform. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make sense. Yeah, and I... I, I... I get the feeling for Picard they're going to kind of gloss over that because I think in the pictures which we've seen so far you can just make out he's in the uniform. Yeah, I think there was a deleted scene in Nemesis where he said, oh, I didn't get on very well with diplomacy. Also, they, they, they yeah. had a way of yeah. getting away. That bloody Peptar was always at my ankles. So the way I felt about it, I, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards Elliot's point of view, I think. I remember cause I was really into Deep Space Nine, like... Even in the early seasons, I absolutely loved it. It was like, I just, it was my Star Trek show and I, I felt this connection with it. And then it, all of a sudden it was bringing Worf in and my worry was it's going to become the Worf show. And, you know, it's no secret that DS9 did not do as well in the ratings and things like that at the time. So it this was mandated by the network that you've got to bring in a DS9. A, a, a TNG uh, character. character. And yeah, and they left it open, though, didn't they? Yeah, I think they Which let them choose, but yeah. they also said, you've got to make the Klingons the big villains, so it kind of <laughs> narrowed it down <laughs> so a little bit. <laughs> um, so my yeah. worry was, is it just going to become the Wolf show and is it going to overshadow the DS9 characters? But it's a testament to how good the writers were on DS9 that it just feels like he belongs there. And he doesn't yeah. overshadow everyone else. And they didn't replace Odo as head of security. They found something else for him to do. Mm. And it, it, you know, it didn't take long for me to just accept it the way it was. But I was a tiny bit cynical at the time. But thankfully, I was proven wrong. The other thing as yeah. well was like, this was pretty much a relaunch for DS9. Like the money they threw oh, into this two-parter... Well, it does read like a pilot. Yeah. TV <coughs> episode of anything ever made at the time. Yeah, the money that they put in was pilot money, which you don't do when a show's four seasons in. And yeah. other than bringing in Worf, they made other changes, like the title sequence, they judged it up. And the, there's some weird things in the title sequence, because it's DS9, I think, is the only one where it's completely alphabetical, which... Is luck because Avery Brooks happens to be. Oh no, because there'd be Rene Aubergine, wouldn't there? So yeah. you get Avery Brooks first, then the rest of the cast is done alphabetically. And this was the year that um, your mate Squee, Alexander Siddig, changed his stage name and he was Siddig El Fadil, which is an E, and he went to Alexander Siddig, which is an S. So it's one of the only times in. TV history that an actor has willingly moved themselves down the the pecking order <laughs> in the credits. I mean, you call them all these names. I, I just call him Sid, you know, but that's just us when we're hanging out. Yeah, well, exactly. I didn't want to presume and call him Sid, but I, I know <laughs> to you he's Sid. And, you know, if it had just been Sid from the start, it wouldn't have had to move. 
but just to tear from a few things you've said there so yeah i mean it definitely like all through this it feels like a pilot and you'll actually notice there's even scenes for the existing cast mm. where they reset who they are where like everything that uh quark does seems more quirky than ever yeah. you've got the scenes where kind of like you've got between um dax and uh kira like there's that scene when they're on holiday where they really kind of project what their characters are Bashir seems to come onto his own more here. I think yeah. this is the start of him becoming a bit more cool, a bit less. Like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we're not going to have a problem with the Dorky character. We know, who, you know, we know our own. But it's like his character, I think, was made a bit over silly yeah. earlier on, and it really yeah. started to solidify here. So it's almost like this was like series three did a lot of the groundwork leading into this, mm. but this were all homogenized. And, and it's like, yeah, like you say, you know, no matter what I thought going into this, when I saw Wolf on this and saw what they did to him, how they wrote him into the Klingon storyline, it was, it was brilliant. You knew it was just going to work after this. Yeah. But and one like, of the most significant changes, we finally get Cisco looking like Cisco, by which yeah. I mean looking mm. like Avery Brooks, but. And he even goes to Captain, <laughs> you like it. <laughs> But but this is it. But it it's like what, suddenly, did, you, did you mean the war criminal Castor Yates? That's Sorry, the one. <laughs> but it's like suddenly he's comfortable in his own skin, and it comes across in Brooks's performance. I think. Yeah. It, it's like a different yeah. character, and yeah, yeah, I thought every Brooks was great in the first three seasons, but there was always something. And it, and it does fit in with the character's development because he's now four years removed from losing his wife and he's got comfortable on the station. So it makes sense as a character growth thing. But the change, you just feel it. You're like, he's here now. This is it. This is yeah. Captain Sisko. Again, to add to that, you know, it's like he, um, up until then, he has been the sort of archetype of the captain we've expected mm. thus far from Star Trek, even though he's commander, don't get me started. But he, like, in this series is where you really see him come into his own as a badass. And it's like, he still has those uh, qualities of Starfleet captain in the round. There's one episode where, he, you know, it, the whole purpose of it is that he breaks that. But um, but apart from that, really, he does keep that that Star Trek captain side. But with that real edge, he's kind of like, yeah. which he's got as an actor, which he didn't get to explore before. Yeah, it's, it is a... A reformatting and a, a very successful one, but like, it does good, feel organic. One of the fun things about this, like you're asking what we thought when we heard the news of war, there was also lots of uh, false rumours going around at the time, because it wasn't like today where if someone's coming out, you'll get leaked shots from the shoot and mm. all that all over social media. What you oh, got God, was yeah. what was in magazines or mm. uh, middle of newspapers. And there was all sorts of like, oh, the Klingons are, go are going to be in it. But there was like, yeah, there's going to be a second station built with the Klingons next to it. And oh, oh this was going round. I actually downloaded a trailer from this for this using a dial-up connection from the whatever the network was at the time website. Yeah. And it took about four hours to download this like... <laughs> 30-second trailer, but I still remember how exciting it was. It was like, it said something like, after decades of peace, now there will be war. The Klingons are back. And war. Well, I remember it, if you used to want a song downloading, your mate was sniding it for you. Off. You used to go, oh, it's so-and-so. 
Yeah, uh, come round tomorrow and I'll have it burnt onto a seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a thing to Napster. Yeah. But it was yeah. wicked to actually go to a shop and buy it. Yeah. But oh, yeah. God. Can, can I just um, just make me remember one thing? You know, when you're talking about the magazines, because I remember, oh, geez, I used to get them every week. There used to be a collection of them, whatever ones I could afford with my pocket mm. money when I was really young. And I remember once I bought this one, which had Gillian Anderson on the cover because X Files was that was huge dream watch. about this time as well. She was on the cover of every. No, no, no. This this was definitely SFX because I'll tell you why. Because mm. it was her. Because Gillian Anderson was not afraid to do a glamour shot or two at the time. No, nope. and they had her one of those kind of glamour shots on the cover. Nothing to do with the X Files. I think she was just kissing a pendant which says X Files on it in this scantily clad outfit. Mm. And her, you know, as they were wont to do, they'd have the kind of like SFX logo kind of coming in and out behind the person. And my dad saw the magazine. I just brought. Really goes, Ian, what's this? And I go, what's the sci-fi magazine? It's SFX. And he goes, oh. And I looked at it, and her head was covering the yep. bottom of the F. And, and my dad, so dad thought it was sex magazine. It's like they no, absolutely no, no. <laughs> did that on purpose, did SFX, oh, and it probably drove yes. their sales up like nobody's business. Yeah. Now. Both my dad and I could have very easily gone very red, but luckily he started laughing fast, so I was like, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> okay, like, yeah. I mean, you yeah, know, anyway. we, we, we all did have those magazines as well, you know what I mean? We remember oh, yeah, Julian... Yeah, and let's, oh, look, the SFX would have, would have sufficed if there was a nice enough picture of Julian yeah. Sanderson on it. That's and all I'm saying. And I remember my mate, Andy, he actually bought Julian Anderson's film The Turning, which <laughs> anyone... I mean, what film? Uh, yeah, see, you know what it is, and you know why it's know significant. Uh, but yeah, he was the only one who actually spent the money to acquire a copy of that film. Um, oh, no. How many times did you have to pause it before you could see it? I mean, I don't know this film. I don't know why you came. No, no, I don't know what him. you're talking about. But um, but yeah, it was. I think it was oversold. What what to Ooh. expect from that film? Anyway. Yeah, and freeze frame <coughs> just wasn't up to the task nope. back then. That's no, nope, not on a VHS. That's what I'm um, anyway, moving on then, let's talk about Way of the Warrior. So, <laughs> start off with a really cool action sequence, and it's, we're looking for a changeling, but it's actually Odo, and Bashir's the one who gets caught, and well, yeah, it's you just... think, um, Cisco and, uh, Kira come off really bad, did not they? When, the, when they're going to the room, and like, you see them going to the first room, and straight away, to sweep it, with the phaser rifles, which is what they're meant to do. Then they walk into the room where Odo is. Mm -hmm. Changes from being the chair into whatever to escape, and they just stand there. Oh. You go, whoa! Yeah, and like <laughs> the, the, first, the first room, they go through this whole performance of him, like, counting down and go, go, go. And then second room, they just open the door and stroll in. And, and I bet that was a studio note. I bet, like, in the original script, they have them checking behind each door and it's like, no, no, just show that once. Come on. Yeah, yeah we haven't got time. We, we, we've only got 90 minutes. Come on. And also, why are they, accept, why are they uh, checking the guest quarters first? Like, you know, get security, like, fuck around the promenade and around the, the security areas. A good three hours into the search. Yeah, that, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah this is very close to the end of the... The like force fields? Why aren't force fields up everywhere? Yeah, Come on, I'm point. just saying. Um, yeah, the, well... The, put a shield up. Yeah, still... once you, and once you've uh, confirmed the promenade is safe, that's the bit you locked down. You know, all the yeah. 
high security areas and the big civilian areas. They're, yeah, they're the you ones think you they'd start from the docking ring and work inwards and then you're funneling it into one place. See, we could have had this sorted out, lads, you know. <laughs> but no, it's good fun and it's good when Quark's like, well, if you told me how long it might take next time... We could make some money. <laughs> oh, and isn't it... Doesn't um, O'Brien, when he comes up to him, go, bang, bang, you're dead bang, or something? Yeah, he says, bang, you're yeah. dead. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's Because that's the game you played as a kid. That's yeah. perfect. The reaction. But because, yeah, but it, so is Bashir. Straight, straight into all his uh, Second World War drafts. Oh, yeah. And all that. So it will be using yeah. proper guns. Oh, I mean, geez, it's, it's quite famously said that when, um, well, he told, said it himself, Ewan McGregor, when he was first doing Star Wars, he, when he was doing the lightsaber, they had to come up to him and go, look, you're doing great, really loving it so far, but could you not make the noise when you're doing the lightsaber? Mm. We'll put that on in post. Because <laughs> it was like, zoom, 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 because you can't And it. Brian Blessed in Flash Garden did the same thing, didn't he? Ran around going, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> of course, the first thing you're going to do if you... If you're playing this war game and you get up to Odo, you go bang, bang, you're dead. It's yeah. perfect. I'm not even mocking it. I love it so much. And um, you mentioned earlier on uh, Mackie, Traitor, Cassidy Yates, but uh, the way it's shown, like last time we saw them, they were they were going on a first date. I think we've met, met Cassidy once here. But this episode is willing to... It's giving the audience credit to go, this is where they're at now. Like, they are now very much a couple. And yeah. you have to fill in the blanks there. This has happened in between. Like, And it's the first sort of time, really, they've done an ongoing relationship in Star Trek. And yeah. I, I really like the way, I'll, even beyond this episode, I think Cisco and Cassidy's relationship is handled really, really well. And, like, particularly, we will cover them eventually, but when it does come out that, she's actually with the Maquis. And in any other show, that would have been the end of the relationship, done. But DS9 yeah. goes, no, they, these are adults. They care for each other. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to give it a go when she comes back, you know. But well, I, and I also want to add, I mean, obviously, it's jumping ahead a little bit, but watching the episode this time, I noticed several things where she's fishing for information. Mm which I think they put in perfectly, but I, I never noticed them before this walk. No, I didn't. Great. I yeah. think when you're watching it to do a podcast like this, you're watching it that much more closely and you do pick up on stuff. I've it's got great. On... And, and I think I think having this complexity in a Star Trek relationship is kind of the antecedents to what we see in, um, in Strange New Worlds, where they can Absolutely. have a kind of casual relationship. They have sex every now and again when they meet up because mm. they're adults and they can yeah. do that. And that's just... I don't think you get there without kind of shows like this doing it first. Now, the, the Strange New Worlds link is interesting because did either of you catch where Cassidy's brother lives and plays baseball? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, no, I didn't. Sorry. There was... Because they mentioned the criminal uh, monastery, I noticed. It's Cestus Three, which was the outpost that was destroyed at the start of Arena. So, oh. so obviously, in the hundred years since, they've either they come to peace with the Gorn or recolonized or whatever. But um, yeah, so that's nice to Joe. know that Cestus Three pulled through. Another um, Strange New Worlds link. Um, well, obviously, this came so much before it, but uh, 
uh, Wolf mentions a monastery that he'd been to, yes, which is the same yeah. one which they go to, which again never picked up on that before. When they no. when I heard the mon- monastery in Discovery, I thought it was a new thing. Oh no, I, I knew it was where Wolf had been. But if you notice specifically what he says, he says something about the monks were very insightful and like knowing what we know now. Yeah, we, we have to go. Wait a minute. Have they shown Worf a vision of his future while he's oh, been the there? Worf things to do. Yeah, yeah. They so. show him when he's on the uh, bridge of the Enterprise and he's having an argument with uh, um, a Riker over Troy, and so he ends the relationship. That's what yeah. Really that's happens. that's why he packed Troy in because we don't get an answer to that. Apparently, there was a, a deleted that was, that was scene it as well. It would, but yeah, apparently there was a deleted scene where O'Brien was going to say something like, I'm sorry it didn't work out with you and Councillor Troy, but instead we just do not acknowledge it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, But if you do want the full story of that, uh, check out Peter David's novel Imzadi 2, Colon Triangle, which is a fantastic novel. And Thomas Riker comes back in it, (laughs) Seela comes back in it, it's a... Novel. And it's worth listening to the first one as well, just because it's a great book. Oh, exactly. One's one of my favourite books ever, not just Star I, I, th- Trek. I think that's probably the better one, but two is still Definitely, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about Caster. Yeah, she's very curious about the changes to the station. Yeah. And at the time, you read mm. it as, oh, she wants to know if they'll be safe from the Dominion, but you actually think, right, she's worried that they're doing something to catch the Maquis, not... Yeah. Not to do with Also, the you can you can see this is a hint to um, pre-Dominion War Cisco. He's so trusting in everything. Yeah. And it kind of informs who he becomes. So this is a lovely step as well. Because, of course, the Starfleet captain would be completely trusting of their partner. There's no reason not mm-hmm. to be. Starfleet's been at peace for so many years. So Absolutely. It, it, it even works on that level. And then we get one of the great DS9 recurring characters, General Martok's first appearance. And I do, I do get the sense it that the, really General Martok, because we find out later. Well, is it or isn't it? It could be. He might have been replaced after this because he does do the blood thing. But yeah. then, as we know, changelings can fake that. Hey, if I was a changeling, <laughs> I'd suck up all the blood I could could from the first person I met. Well, Just hey, me speaking from my head. In a fortnight, in a fortnight, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Martok, I get the sense with this, as with many DS9 characters, this was probably meant to be a one-shot appearance, and they were like, you know what, that guy's great, so we're going to have a lot more Martok. Do you think so, though, because we're quite early on in the, we start the series at this stage, like, I, th- I feel like they've got to have had a few of his episodes planned, haven't they, at this stage? Maybe, they would have I mean, so I don't script. think we see him again until the season five premiere, so... Oh, is it, is it that long until we see him again? I have a feeling, yeah, because that's when we find out that he's a changeling. and Wow. Yeah, but he's been a changeling for a long time. I I, I, I thought that when we get to um, In Purgatory's Shadow and all that, that we find out that even that he's been there that long, that oh, even with the warrior. Yeah, I know, it, it could well which, be. I, I just like... explain certain things in this episode as well. Yeah, it would do. I just like the idea of speculating on it. Was he a changeling yeah. here, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I, I, I think he was a changeling already here. I think you could well be right. And, and, and I've got quite... And there's quite a few sort of pointers to him being a changeling. Like, it's yeah. actually so can I also throw in something here just while we're talking about uh, Martok because he's the first um, 
Klingon, I think we see in this episode. Or the first kind of uh, main Klingon, shall we yeah. say. Uh, man, I suddenly realized watching this episode how much the Klingons gave us in amazing performances mm. in Deep Space Nine. I think this was a real heyday. Like, they did it in Next oh. Generation pretty well as well. But, like, this is a real heyday for character actors coming in. And a lot of them, some of which were in the original series, a lot of these had been Shakespearean trained. And that all comes out. So they've got this yeah, kind of yeah. boring thing. But the kind of, like, long, wistful kind of uh, talks about battles old and all this, they are just so good. And there's so many different types as well. So you've got, like, Martok's the out-and-out warrior. Garon is just chewing the scenery in a in an amazing way. Like he's such an amazing out there actor. It's just oh god, it was so good. It just made me think of all the great. I think a lot of it as well is that around this time, Ronald D. Moore joined the writing staff, and he was the go-to Klingon guy in Next Gen, and he does a lot of the big Klingon episodes this time. So I think he's your guy for Klingons. I just think this might have been the best period for Klingon acting. Oh, Actually, I think yeah. you're right. I think on the on the Klingon episodes, the in the next generation, the casting was top notch as well. I just think this was such a good time for Klingons to be yeah. written for well and acted superbly. Act, the well, and it, like the next gen had started a lot of building up mm. sort of the cultural background of the Klingons, but DS9 just took that and ran with it and. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Gowron had been in Next Gen a few times, and yeah. he'd already been reintroduced in DS9 in The House of Quark, which was a comedy episode, but then it's like, right, let's bring him in for something serious now. Yeah, um, it's like, when you look at it, there's a lot of these recurring characters. In a lot of shows, they'd be down almost as main cast members in mm, that many oh, episodes. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I mean, and, and I, I'm allowed to say this as my mother's Irish. I just like to point that out every time I'm going to make an Irish stereotype. But I would say Garon is almost Irish in the way he can flip on a penny between angry and joyful. Like the, the way he can go from like one minute going, ah, you've made many enemies. I assure you, I'm not one of them. He's a head from, yeah. he's like a bobblehead for a minute. And the next minute he's going, oh, you won't go with me? Ah, plague on your house then. I hate you. You're uh, the worst yeah. Garon ever. I mean, of course <laughs> the Gowron eyes have become a meme, but... Oh. Um, but the performance, the eyes are just the star of it. Yeah. Everything he does is as mad as his eyes. In I remember I went to uh, the first ever Star Trek convention I went to, and it was just before... Um, it was in between season three and four of DS9, and Robert O'Reilly, so that there's your Irish connection... He yeah, he was he was sort of the guest of honor, and everyone was asking him like, "Is it true that you're going to be in the the next episode of DS9?" And he he wasn't allowed to say at the time, but the first thing he did was he comes on stage and he goes, "Does anyone want to see some Gowron eyes?" And he just did the the eye thing. <laughs> so do, do his eyes not naturally sit that bold? No, no, he has to he has to do it. But, but he can do it on cue, so... Well, I just wasn't sure if it was an acting choice or if he just does have prominent eyes. No, so no, it's the, the most ironic choice. thing in Star Trek is that uh, if you see LeVar Burton without the visor, his eyes are actually really huge. And what he's was, the one who ends up behind the, the visor. What was weird about it is, like, yeah, I was quite young when I went to this one, so my mum and Elliot's dad had, had taken me, and they were like, look, well, we'll just go for a pint in the pub down thing, and when you're done at the convention, come and find us. And they went to the pub, so I'm at this convention. Robert O'Reilly goes into the pub and sits down, and so they're, they're having a chat with Robert O'Reilly, and I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> I wish I'd gone to the pub instead of I was too young to go to the pub. But there there's you no go. taking a selfie on your camera for, for showing you when you No, there were none of that at the time. My, uh, my mum and Elliot's dad wouldn't know how to take a selfie on no. a camera, even if they had a smartphone at the time, so don't worry about that. Um, the blood oh. test then. blocking oh, Ma- yeah, not squeezing yeah, Gage's clothes. Unfortunately, it triggers without warning. Never mind. <laughs> uh, well, you're not allowed to use it in the Alpha Quadrant unless you're sneaking up on Klingons. Um, yeah, the blood test. I just wanted to pull this out. Like, the, I get that Martok's like, right, I'm going to do it. That's a very Klingon thing. Like, I'm going to cut myself yeah. with a knife. But Cisco and Kira don't have to do it. You know, they could be like, look, I'll, I'll do a blood test, but I'm doing it with a, a hypo, not... And also, well, can we clean that blade in between? You know, I don't I want think cling on AIDS. That, that you sort of, like, got to behave in front of the Klingons and all Yeah, that. you've got to sort of match, the, match their honour, haven't you? It might have yeah. caused more of an incident if they hadn't have done it. But I'm not being funny, but I don't, I don't want to cut me hand with something that Martok's been using to cut his hand like I don't know where Martok's hands have been you know I'm I, I, yeah. I just don't want any Klingon blood diseases is all I'm saying I think that the, they've probably gone and seen Dr. Bashir straight away uh, quick give us a quick uh, thing of the hypers yeah we want to be inoculated against any Klingon <laughs> diseases thank you I'm bit, to be honest with you I'm even more concerned about where Dr. Bashir's hands have been you know what a Arch uh, ladies' man he was at the time. Very well. He fancied himself as a ladies' man, but I don't think he actually. How far no, no, they had him getting lucky all the time with random people we didn't know. It's just true, like true. Really wanted someone like uh, Dax, then he had no hope. Yeah. How far back does it go that we haven't got Bashir in the show? Really? Uh, oh, that's true. It's season five. Uh, because it's really clever because we know that it's before the uniforms changed. Yeah. And we will get to it, but it means that a changeling did brain surgery on Captain Sisko. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we'll get there eventually. So <laughs> there's all the stuff with the Klingons, like the harassing mom, the beating Garak up. I love how Garak says, yeah, but I did get off some cutting remarks. <laughs> oh, peak Garak. And that now, will... It was it just me who, in this moment, thought, it's like, you know that Section 31 show, which they're still saying is going to happen? Garrick? Oh, can you imagine how good that yeah. would be? I mean, Garrick... I mean, Garrick playing against um, uh, Giorgio oh, as well. Yes, that would be... Yeah, sign me up for that anytime. And you know what? I think Andrew Robinson would be up for it because he really loved playing Garrick. Um, you can tell. You can tell. He's so, so good. No one could have that much suggestion to everything he said of something insidious. Yeah. Uh, I remember I saw him at a convention as well, and because I've read the, his book that he wrote and everything, and he oh, the autobiography, yeah, Stitching Time. Um, that is brilliant. Book. It is a great if, book. If you haven't read that, that is so worth reading. Yeah, but he said he would write another one, but only if they did a DS Nine movie. So there you go, Paramount, make it happen. Make um, it so, you might say. Interestingly, they they've. I saw on his Twitter or something. Um, they've finally done a deal to get an audiobook version of that novel that he wrote, read by him oh. in character as Garak, telling Garak's life story. So oh, that'll be oh. amazing. That's definitely worth looking because it's out. Hell yeah! 
it's out of print at the minute is the novel um right but hopefully it will mean that the book will be reissued and hopefully a Kindle version or e-read, whatever. Uh, but the audio version, read by Andrew Robinson as Garak, yes. <laughs> yes, please. No, no, he is, he is so good in this episode as well. Like, it's just, uh, he gets just enough scenes to really go into it a, a little bit. And, you know, I, I like to think that after he didn't report this crime, it's because he wanted to get these people killed oh, himself. I'm sure <laughs> he had a plan, oh. yeah. Some of these Klingons would have made it off the off Or the psychologically ship. tortured for the rest of their lives because death would be too quick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so anyway, it all comes to a head and Cisco realises that only Klingons can deal with Klingons. And then we get Worf's arrival, and he turns yeah, up in like, TNG attire, which is great. I I do like how uh, Quark goes to O'Brien and Bashir in the bar, and all that. Do you notice anything's wrong? And Quark knows something. Is yeah, it's too quiet. But when he goes, it's quiet. He goes. It's, I like how he tells you exactly how many decibels it is. <laughs> yeah. like he could tell that it's it's thirty decibels. Well, the normal day, it's 65. When Klingons are in, it's 85. This isn't right. And look at them. They're looking for targets. Yeah. yeah. They're scoping the room. And that shows, you know, Quark's a very good observer of behaviour, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing I would do, on if, if we're on um, uh, Wolf's entrance, not like that, people, but uh, when they kind of pan up from his shoes, the only thing I could think of is, like, what are we going to get those natty trousers which go apart on the side of the uh, shoes? I like those. Very yeah, practical. Maybe they couldn't find, the reason why you... couldn't find a TNG bottom, so you had to wear a DS9 bottom with a TNG top, maybe. I don't know. I approve. I'm just saying, like, I, I have to buy trousers which either do the Simon Cowell, which kind of right up halfway through your legs, or you end up tripping on them. I need those. It's true. I'm sure you can get them. I'm sure there's numerous <laughs> places. Um, and then, yeah, we get this little sort of through line with Worf that he's thinking about leaving Starfleet. So we talk about the Enterprise getting destroyed. So we're placing this after Generations. Mm. And Worf's having a bit of a dilemma and everything. And I like the way they use that to establish a relationship between Cisco and Worf straight away. Like Cisco takes on this almost mentoring yeah. role right off the bat yeah. with him. I knew, I knew Starfleet as well, and yeah, I love that's a wonderful parallel. Actually, going going forward to the rest of season four, I love that because Cisco's getting Worf on the command track. There's loads of episodes where it's just Cisco bollocking Worf, and it's <laughs> it's really funny. And you I, know, the the only thing which really annoyed <laughs> me about the only thing which really annoyed me is when they got to the thing of. Um, they made it kind of um, try to do a, basically a joke of it, saying that Wolf was intimidated by yeah. him. I didn't like that. I never took to that. Like, Wolf isn't intimidated. He has respect for people. But yeah. just to have him intimidated seemed like an, an insult to the character for a cheap joke. It is a funny scene, though. Cisco finds it hilarious. <laughs> I know. It just, it, oh, I don't know. It just makes me uh, cringe every time they say that bit because it's like, it again, it dispowers the character. In a way, and like if he was going to get intimidated, I think he would be equally as intimidated by Picard because oh, I think he, he is, storm down and stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I don't think he is. I don't think he's intimidating. He respects these people. Yeah, it's probably not the right word. Um, but I think he views them as warriors and, you know, he views the captains yeah. as superior warriors to him. And so there, there is a bit of a hierarchical thing, but... I, I think the thing is there's also a mix of that because there's a mix of the clan side of him which admires them as warriors and tacticians mainly, mm. I think, especially with Cisco... With, uh, sorry, uh, Picard's more tactical on that side of things. Uh, and on a human side, I think he has respect for them as kind of just clever people, like people who know stuff. And he, I think he does respect that, having been raised by humans. So it works on so many levels. To say he's intimidating, just, as mm. I say, it would seem like a cheap shot, basically. It may not be quite um, whereas, the right word. I've never thought of it that way before, but yeah. I, I think, don't know, it just got me every time, because I think you're right. I think the way they set up the relationship is so good that it always it makes me think of that moment because it annoyed me so much. <laughs> but maybe it's just me then. And speaking of relationships, then, we get his first meeting with Dax, which, are, again... Straight away. It's just great with DS9, the fact that we've already established that Dax has a history with Klingons, so naturally there's going to be some connection between them. And, yeah, it's just, it's just great. And it's funny that Kira, who is probably... Closest to Worf in terms of a mentality, you know, as a, as a warrior and all this. And it's funny that when she meets Worf, she's dressed as Guinevere or whatever it is. And yeah, she's the one who's really embarrassed about being seen like that. Yeah. And oh, and I like how he's who... Nice hat. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's another one who they kind of established a character of. It's very subtly done. <laughs> I like that. But they, they have her saying, it's like, uh, sorry, I never had time for an imagination during the war and everything. You know, so she kind of really points out that yeah. the reason why she can be so yeah. cynical is because that she gets a bit embarrassed in front of Wolf because she doesn't like dressing up like this. Wolf gets these moments with every crew member in this mm. episode, yeah, and it does. each works perfectly to what their relationship is going to be. With Quark, it's antagonistic, and Quark's trying to pull a fast one, but as soon as he sees Wolf doing that face to him, he fucking cowers. You've got O'Brien, his old friend, Bashir, and him have a good kind of jovial relationship, really. Everything is set out in this episode so well and it's so economical where it's just a scene with each of them yeah. and it's enough. And it, it In a way which I don't think they sort of fully did with 709, 709 no. in Voyager and quite as well to begin with. And it, it works functionally as this is an attempt by the network to get eyes on DS9 and they're obviously anticipating a lot of new viewers watching this. Yeah. So Worf is acting kind of as an audience surrogate. You know, we know Worf from T. They were hoping to get the TNG fans, basically, who's not already started watching DS9. So you come in, you're a TNG fan. I know Worf. Oh, now Worf's introduced me to Cisco. No, now Worf's introduced me to Kira. So it's Worf very... Yeah, it's very clever, multi-layered writing to be doing all the jobs that it's doing. And... I like this first part where with Dax as well, and when they first meet, when he goes off to uh, fight Martok's son, and she's already impressed with him. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. good, and it's not like, well, when you know where this goes, you yeah. can see where her interest really is. Also, there's there's some sort of like, I think it's that thing of a man and woman fighting. Traditionally, shows can lead to sexual tension and stuff, and this yeah. is very evident in this. Like, there's definitely there, there is that tension right from the get go. I don't know if they always plan for them to get together, but certainly in this episode and every scene with them, which goes afterwards, 
it's always there. And I think it's just their natural chemistry. I yeah, think it's just the way so. it went. Yeah. And I think they then picked up on it to write it in, guessing from what I'm seeing. Yeah, I would guess so. And yeah, the Wolf's investigation's quite good. Like, he, he starts off by beating someone up and then he has to take more of a <laughs> diplomatic approach to getting drunk with this other guy. Uh, I love the bit where the guy sort of says, have I ever told you about the Battle of Wolf? Yes, many times. Um, but but you challenge well. Yeah, he has to backtrack a bit. It's like, but it's a good story. Because the, guy, the way he says it, he goes, it is a good story. Like... Tell it that, well. <laughs> I, I like to think that uh, Klingons at heart have a respect for even a warrior who's got on the tooth, who just sits around telling stories in a bar. I think they've got respect for what they used to be, and they will always be the honored elder. Like, yeah. they knew, yeah. they know if they challenge them, they could beat them down in a minute, but that's not honorable. And that's why the it, it, it's all these kind of textures and layers that they add to the Klingon mythos, which yeah. are really well shown here. And again, another great performance. That that guy who's playing the uh, older Klingon is amazing. He's yeah. just uh, so comfortable. No, it's really good. And and this leads Worf to meet Odo. And again, that's really good. It establishes Odo's estranged from his people. He's had to choose between them. And yeah. he relates that to Worf. And uh, again, we'll develop Odo and Worf later, how they'll, they'll sort of butt heads over security and things like that. But Within this episode, it's a great introductory scene, and again, it it nudges Worf's arc a little bit further, but it also reintroduces Odo to us and everything. So yeah, really. It, it really also well shows done. how, like, I mean, I think it's very hard for Odo to open up, and to begin with, he's quite gruff with uh, Worf. Then you see him kind of like stopping about. It's almost like. Oh, and Mr. Worf, and then he comes over to him to talk to him so he mm. doesn't get everyone else hearing. And he goes like, look, I understand what it can be like to be torn between your people and your duty. And then Worf's a dick about it. So he's just like, but if you want to be a dick about it, I could just report you to Cisco if you yeah. want. You know, it's like, it's a, it's lovely. And I feel like that, again, that does set the table for their relationship. Like you say, it's like they do bicker over security matters. But at the yeah. end of the day, they're quite similar, really, at heart. And that's mm. what develops a, like, a, like a how lasting friendship. Worf's got... Whilst being given a, a job by Cisco to find out what's going on, to investigate it. Because Odo can't investigate that, he decides to investigate Worf, what he's doing yeah. to find out. <laughs> I didn't think about it that yeah, way, but yeah. Like Odo's got his own ways of finding out what's going on. Yeah, Odo doesn't like stuff going on that he doesn't know he's yeah. not at the heart of. And I just love the fact that Worf as well... Wolf is a security expert. You know, he spent years as security chief. So he would have encrypted the hell out of his transmission. Mm. And I was just yeah. like, yeah, I know exactly who you called them when. That's how good I am, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's you and you made so many calls. But then after that happened, you didn't make any more. You can just hear... You can hear Wolf's blood boiling at the fact that he's out-securityed him. Yeah. And it's great how they set up um, the dilemma in it. So it's, well, we think, the Klingons think Cardassia has been compromised by the Dominion. And that's great as well, that you get this mandate from the network, you've got to bring the Klingons in. But instead of dropping everything that they already had in play, they go, okay, how do we link that to what we're doing yeah. with the Dominion? How do we make this a bigger story? rather than resetting what we're doing. And you've got to admire him for sticking to the guns on that. And it works so well. You know, we get a Klingon war in the middle of a Dominion war, and it <laughs> yeah, all yeah. it all works. Yeah, it's just... <coughs> it, 
it's just a war show. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 and it's that threat of them fighting a war on two different fronts. Yeah, they yeah. Can at least afford to it, which is really exciting because it's like if the Dominion really decide to to invade at that stage, they would all been screwed. Yeah, they would have been. Yeah. And I love obviously the way they leak the information to the Cardassian. Let's get Garak to come and measure a suit while we talk about it. Like mm. just brilliant. And I love how I think I've lost a bit of weight. I think I've got everything I need. Thank you. How well, so this is how uncomfortable Worf is. When the, when the Klingons leave is one of my things where I think uh, Martok is possibly already a changeling. Yeah. Because he got because like Cisco confronts him about what they're about to do. And he goes, this isn't the way to do it. Mm. It could cause all sorts of problems. He goes, right, I will consult with Gowron. You'll have your answer within an hour. Mm. And he beams off and he gives one order, begin. Yeah. Immediately, there's no attempt to contact Gowron. Oh, yeah. that's nice. It's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Worf, obviously, and we get a lot more of this with Odo when they butt heads over security, but... In that Garak scene, Worf is clearly uncomfortable with this plan. Like, yeah. he delivers his lines, but he's like, I don't like doing this. And that shows the contrast between this isn't how you'd have done it on the Enterprise, but we're not on the Enterprise. This is how yeah. we do things on this DS9. This is how you do things on DS9. And this, but, this also... Also, but let's not forget, this has also been a massive Klingon Kardashian war, sort of within the last. 19, 20 years. No, exactly. I also think there's... So there's probably animosity between the two races, whatever. Mm. I also felt a suggestion, and I think this is how well they kind of stage everything. When Garrett uh, walks in, it's almost like they had it prepared. It's like, right, when he walks in, Dax, you start talking. Yeah, definitely. Resetting the conversations we've had so far. Because they're not, like, going to pretend to have that conversation while they're waiting for him. She's going to have been waiting, going, it's like... So as we were saying... Yeah, oh, it's like, definitely <laughs> that. And, like, Worf, you can see on Worf's face that it's like, right, this is your line, Worf. This is where you have to say <laughs> that. And he's like, it's almost like he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Right, yes. Right, I don't want to do um, this. Um, so it's just great. Right, I'm, I'm, I made an oath to Starfleet and I'm wearing the uniform. <laughs> yeah. I've got this. This is honourable. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it almost, but it's like, it, it didn't go so far as to, you know, to go and say, like, Garrick, did you catch all that? You know, it's like it's also it's subtly enough played, but it's enough yeah. that you Is know. That, that I think that was a bit of weight you need to take. Uh, do you want to measure my waist? No, it's okay. I've got enough. Thank you. <laughs> I always <laughs> like the idea that Cisco actually did want a new uniform as well, and so yeah. he's actually pissed off. Like, no, you will measure my waist, Garrick. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, get, um, Cisco comes down to to, to the uh, tailor shop later. Goes like. Garrick, um, you know, everything work out earlier? Yeah, I did. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Captain. And he goes, um, by the way, I wasn't lying. I have lost a bit of weight. I've been working hard on it. I just want to make sure everyone yeah. knew that wasn't part of the rooms. <laughs> yeah. And then, obviously, we get the Klingons pulling out of the Kitama Records, which is a bit weird because the Kitama Records are what we know were signed in Star Trek Six, But, that just must be the name for the peace treaties with the Klingons because we know that conflicts broke out after that with the Enterprise C oh. and whatnot. And yeah. then they've obviously re signed it. So it's not because Bashir says, oh, it's 20 years since we had any problems with the Klingons. So, yeah, the Kitama records cover a lot of things. I think it's like um, 
like you know, you can have amendments to agreements. So I, yeah. I, I like to think it's it's just an amendment because it's like, or like this, like they re-signed the same accord. I think so. Maybe they do that again. They in, fell out and they re-signed it. Yeah, they do that yeah, again yeah. in season five. So yeah. Um, yeah. And, so I like, but I must say, when they do, when when he does announce, like when Cisco comes on and announces the Kissimmee Accords have been. Um, non void or whatever. I I do get goosebumps in that moment. I think because like it's one of those things. Anyone else watching it's just oh okay they're at war with the Klingons. With us we we know the no, moment six when they sign them. We know how big this is. Like after them being the main threat it, or you know okay they're only in a handful of episodes but they're remembered as the main threat from the original series. Yeah, yeah. And then we've had a show all about them being at a piece, albeit a, a sometimes uneasy one. Now that piece has gone after like 80 it's, years. It's amazing. It's yeah. kind of like there's a, a famous um, commentator on American wrestling, Jim Ross, or good old JR. And one, yeah, of, his, I remember one of his catchphrases, like if Stone Cold Steve Austin turned up or something like that, he'd always say, well, business is about to pick up. And it's like the Klingons have come out of the Kit of Records. Business is about to pick up. You know you're in for something <laughs> now. Like, we all, like we get Garrick as well, don't we? And he starts talk, telling good. He gets through to the cat. Is this the first time that the cat is changing sides? Of the many times he changes sides, possibly, yeah, yeah. Because previously he just gets demoted, really. <laughs> yeah, well, the cat by the end of this is running the Cardassian government as as good as. Um... Yeah, well, he's sort of like <coughs> massively influencing the, the council, isn't it? And I just love that thing when, like, on the transmission, he's, he's being um, so serious, like, uh, well, as a loyal uh, citizen of the military of Kardashian, mm. I follow whatever legitimate government. And then Cisco goes, you saw which way the wind was blowing, you decided to switch sides. So that was, well, like so a good idea at the time. It's, it's I love that line. It's just... It. Well, it's like you've got... You see, he's got his officer in the background, so it means he's mm. got to trust that officer yeah. so implicitly. But it's just a nice little wink to the camera of, like, Seemed like a good idea yeah. at the time. He he drops up a tense for a moment. I just like that because there was the reason why I think Decott became so um so pivotal to this show and so good to do so many things was there was all that always that thing of him being Hitler effectively, but wanting to be the um the, the white knight. You know, he mm. wanted to be better than that. And it like even though he would never sacrifice doing all the dodgy shit he did. He like he was always trying to chat up uh, Kira and kind of win her back over, trying to persuade her that the uh, occupation wasn't so bad. In this moment, he's trying to charm Cisco, and you needed that charm, I feel, to make him yeah. a bit more oh, character. To, to not just know they would always do villain. the evil thing. And you but it's do, like you like, need to just believe well, he could do something good to yeah. for him to be such a good villain. Yeah, in season it, four arc, you do start to like him and trust him, and you want yeah. him to be redeemed, but. Then he throws all that away, but well, um, apparently it was it was only because Kira, um, sorry, um, Nana visitor. Yeah, yeah. It was because she kicked up a fuss because um, uh, oh my, I forget his name. Sorry, the Dukat actor. He wanted to um, he wanted to go for the kind of like love thing between them, mm. and he was always voting for it. And she goes, "No, he's Hitler." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kira he isn't just... going to go out with Hitler. And she like, was right. killed all these people. 
And yeah. yeah, thank God that she did that. Because again, I think he needed to be playing like he was trying for it, but she yeah, was yeah. really wanted to shut it down. To but go, no. No, remember, he's still a mass murderer. Yeah, Kira's, yeah. she has her moments where she tolerates him, but she's absolutely disgusted by Dakar all the time. Um, yeah. Then, end of episode one, when they split this into two parts, which really shows why you should never do that. Because episode one, when they split it, ends with... Gowron saying, welcome, Worf, glory awaits you on Cardassia, which is hardly a cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> but the... Well, you think that what... You're meant to think that Worf, after all this, is going off to join the Klingons. Exactly, it's, you know. But it's yeah. a good conversation between the two of them and everything. Like you say, that where he switches, like, you have made a lot of enemies. Ah, but I am not one of I them. I am not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was so well delivered. I don't know why I love that line. Then there is a mention of Alexander very briefly, which, you know, Worf, not the greatest dad, but um, at least we, <laughs> we name-check him here. He says, oh, he loves it so much more with my parents. Like, does he, Worf, or do you just keep fobbing him off on him? Well, he does so well with his parents. He rapidly ages, like twice the age he was in Next Generation oh, within does, a couple yeah. of years. Well, we need to be that actor. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did. But how shit is it when he comes back? It's like, you were 10 last time we saw you two years ago. Yeah, yeah. But then he did grow really quickly from being born to being a toddler. So anyway, there's obviously something very weird oh, yeah. going on there. Uh, and age quickly. More or less from here, this episode is just all action now. Because <laughs> it's, okay, Ducat's now in charge. They need to go help. There's a nice chat between Cisco and Cassidy before they go. Like, again, it just reinforces that this relationship is here to stay. It's something serious. Then Worf tells a bit of a fib because he says, I've never been on a Federation ship with a cloak, except when you installed that cloak on the Pegasus, uh, from the Pegasus oh, on the Enterprise. Yeah. So I mean, maybe he meant a traditional well, cloak, not a phase cloak. Yeah, that was a phase cloak, that... Yeah, I don't think the phase cloak counted. So we'll we'll let yeah, him off yeah. there a little. Yeah, bit. I mean it would have ruined the the um yeah the moment. And it was only like, to get I've out of Yeah, yeah, it, it would have ruined it if he uh, some guys like I've never been on a Federation cloak apart from when it was phased as well. So that doesn't count technically. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll let it go. Um, but I mean, we get. A space battle, the first space battle in this, and it's the Defiant trying to rescue the cat. And this is so much more spectacular than anything that Star Trek on TV has ever done to this point. And it's only going to get just, better. Yeah. Can I just chuck in something very quickly yeah. before we go into that? Because that's wonderful. I do also love the fact that they get um, Bashir saying in that moment, just to, it's basically, yeah, for all you guys at home who are complaining about it, hey, but technically, isn't it breaking the uh, treaty with the Romans by using yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, alpha, uh, yeah. the, the Alpha Quadrant? I won't tell them if you don't. Cool. Yeah, We're going to move on now. We've Great checked it. Home. It's, it, it's so yeah. obviously talking Even about the knowledge that we're not allowed to use the cloak yeah. yet again. Even though <laughs> yeah, it's so not been invented yet, don't start hashtagging us on Twitter. We've put in a line of dialogue. Yeah. So away you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, no, you're right. Amazing battle. So, yeah, I mean, I'm nothing more elaborate to say on it than that because it gets even better in within this very same episode. But there well, is a bit... moment where it's like, 
I mean, because because you already have that moment, which was pretty cool already at the beginning of the or near the beginning of the episode, where you've got a couple of uh, clone ships when they say about mm. um, staying there for a minute, and then all the other armada uncloaked. Yeah, there's... and just that shot alone was powerful. And then to see them yeah. actually going at it, there's a, a nice moment where they have this thing of well, we've got to leave that ship because there might be Klingon ships lying in wait. Yeah, we come across some Cardassian debris. Yeah. And, can't use our scanners. And obviously DS9 will go very dark at times, but this is one of the early examples of it where it's like, no, you're a, you're in a war. You have to make tough choices. Yeah. And I love how they start off, let's shoot at the engines, but then it's like, you know what, Worf, do whatever you want. And he's like, hey. Well, Worf goes... Firing, just shooting at the engines doesn't seem to be deterring them. Okay, fire at will. And the second later, yeah. it fires like it's made from cannons and his third of prey just disintegrates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolf's not <laughs> taking any prisoners there. Neither, though, is Bashir. When the cat beams over, he's like, I find this very offensive. I find you offensive. <laughs> I love how Bashir's yes. just no nonsense at this point. Just like, also, look, to the point you're doing it. Shut up, Dakar. <laughs> it's... Also, with the bit with um, Worf shooting the Klingon ship and blowing it up, I think that's also, we were talking about how they reset everything in this. That's resetting how the Defiant is. It's a tiny ship, but it's powerful. Mm. It's built yeah. for war. So that oh. resets that into the plot as well. Yeah, it shows yeah. you this ship is formidable, more than you've yeah. seen yeah. in it, TNG. It's a small ship, but like the Defiant was designed to fight the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. That was its whole point to fight the ball. It's meant to be nippy to move quickly between places yeah. as well as deliver that firepower. There's a great, great, great scene between Quark and Garak where it's oh. basically the calm before the storm. But they're sort of philosophizing really on the Federation. And... Yeah. Oh, having, I love this well, scene. They're having, they're having this drink out there and like Garak Watson and goes a canard, please. And Quark gives him the bottle. Well, I'll probably never sell any more now the Klingons are invaded. But Garrick starts going, Oh, I'm so sorry the destruction of my home planet will affect your business. (laughs) But there you go, two points that get picked up later on in the final season. There's a lot about Garak and the loss of his homeworld. And when the Cardassians occupy the station at the start of season six, Quark does get shut of all this canar, so it's yeah. a lovely little continuity. Can I, can I, I also want to throw a thing in here. I think the, the thing which is really powerful about this moment, and it, it's played away as a, a bit of a comedy scene, but it's like it's these two refugees drink. on this place, yeah, it yeah. reminded me really, it made me think of Casablanca, funnily mm. enough, and it's like these two refugees in this place. It's like, while all the other action of Casablanca was happening, you might have two people from other countries who've got stuck there. But you can't admit to other people about how the fact that you love the Federation. None of them would say that to like anyone who's a Federation person. Maybe, maybe Garrick a little bit to Bashir, but that's about it. But they could admit to each other they can't yeah. like the Federation. Yeah, it's but they wouldn't admit it to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fail. Yeah. It's sickly, isn't it? It's cloying. It's so sweet, but you have enough of it and you start to like it and appreciate That's it. That's the thing, exactly. And, and it's just so, it's it's strong words softly spoken as the old uh, Murphy's advert used to have it. it. It's that moment where, like, when I watched that previously, I've never really considered the deeper context, but, like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. These are refugees. 
both of which could be losing their home in this war. Who Absolutely, knows? And yeah. Both of which are, are, are so removed from their people in one way or another. And they're having this moment of accepting it's like, yeah, yeah we've kind of got to like the Federation and this and it, is kind of our home now. It finishes on that beautiful note where it's like, well, we've said all this bad stuff. So I hope they manage to save us. You know, it's, yeah, it, yeah. yeah this codependence. And they give a little it, smile to each other. It's just, oh, it's so well It's done. brilliant. And it's just great, like, to stick this in in the middle of two massive action scenes. Let's just get two great actors to play a nice, quiet scene. Yeah, absolutely yeah. lovely. But then Quark's next thing is a great comedy beat as well. It's I'm defending my bar with this gun and Ron's already taken all the parts from it. <laughs> this, is, this is another thing, though. This is sort of reintroducing Ron. Ron's not even in this episode. No. But this is sort of like foreshadowing things to come and sort of re reintroducing that. On the quiet, Ron is an amazing engineer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they've already... He's it, it, it's, it's taken yeah. parts of the phaser to rebuild a replicator. And they've already established that he nicks parts to yeah. keep the replicas going, replicates yeah. going because Quark's such a tight ass. And I just yeah. love the fact, it, I mean, it's a it's a fun little moment. I just love the fact he goes, hello, we'll defend it with this, opens up the box yeah. racing away to him to Odo. And then Odo very theatrically takes out this note and goes and starts reading it. It's yeah. just so well played Brilliant. for a good laugh. As you say, just before, because we're about to have some real heavy scenes and you need that yeah. little bit of levity there. Like, and in the midst of all this as well, we get, let's team up Dukat and Garak. Oh. It's just, yeah, because... These two, whenever they're together, are brilliant. And we know they hate each other. We don't know why, unless we've read A Stitch in Time by Andrew Robinson. Time, then we know why. Um, but it's just great, just the seething hatred from it. And, but they are both defending their homeworld. So and they're both defending the council because they want brownie points. The cat because he wants power. Yeah. Because he hopes he'll be allowed to go home. Exactly. So just brilliant to get that in the middle of it all. Um, but the the hatred between them still coming off, even though they're fighting side by side. It's great. And Morty and Martok is a changeling argument. Because we get, they present Gowron with the evidence, look, the council are not changelings. But by this point, his warrior's honour is, don't matter, you've attacked us, so... Yeah. We're having a battle, it doesn't matter. And Martok obviously is all up for it. And there's a Oh, and and you even for, for you know, not knowing that he's a changed thing at this point, no matter what, mm. he's already had that moment where he's presented the dagger as well, which just ramps up yeah. that temp tension. Oh, as they're well, stirring it, they want this fight, you know, and oh, yeah. the founders are very But it's so well layered in, in the first forty five yeah. minutes, the first episode, if you will. The I founders are very clever be because they've gone there's the Romulans, the Klingons, the Federation, the Cardassians. Which one do you think will be easiest to rile up into a fight? Let's start with them, the Klingons, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lovely, lovely callback to the very first episode, because in Emissary, when the Cardassians are trying to retake the station, they, yeah. they, they do a fake thing to make it look like the uh, station's really well on tachyon fields and yeah. Only on shadows. And the really, um, yeah. It, and it's, I can't remember. The I words can't remember what they do, but they, they blag it. And in this episode, Martok goes, no, it's a, it's a fake made with shadows. And 
so and so. So he's probably read the report yeah. from when DS9 did that, <laughs> or the changelings are aware of it. And Cisco's, it's no illusion. And then the station goes into battle mode, and we yeah. get it's just and great. You get, like, and you realize how well armed this thing is. Yeah. When you think of Starship, generally you'll have maybe a foot, like Voyager, give an idea, Voyager left, was armed with. 54-ton torpedoes, hmm. 20 quantum torpedoes, and I think it was two uh, tricobalt torpedoes when it left Yeah, space dock. And you watch this fire, and it goes, fire odd numbers torpedoes. Yeah. It just goes, do, 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 do. But that's coming from all over yeah. the station, and, and they're firing out. <laughs> and the way this is all staged and films like the camera's constantly panning round and we see ships well, flying under the like, station and over the station and like the amazing thing about this is this was models. Yeah. And there's can, also, can I throw another thing yeah, into yeah. this? So they've got there, they've got it's like, right, okay. Deep Space Nine, obviously a critical juncture in the galaxy. Oh god, it's 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 the uh, the way to the uh, gamma quadrant. We need to defend it. Let's send in the defiant. Okay, defiant's doing well. That's pretty good. But now let's arm it up to the teeth. Okay, right. Okay, K Commander Cisco's about to go back. Should we make him a captain? No, no, Commander is fine. I don't see a problem at this stage. <laughs> well, he's here. They won't promote him. I'll bring this up every chance I get. Bloody <laughs> captain in the first episode. Why would you leave a fucking commander in charge of the most critical yeah. outpost? He's been promoted for a good two episodes by this point. I don't know what you're worried about. Has he been at this point? Yeah, he gets promoted in the adversary oh, the previous episode. Okay, okay. They, they, when they're sending in these greater ornaments, they're going, oh, okay, we'll make your captain then. That's why he gets to shave his head, because Star Trek captains have to be bald at this point. You've got Shatner, you've got Patrick Stewart. And, and so, Janeway, that was a wig this whole time. There you go. Um, Are you trying to suggest that Shatner's bald? Absolutely not. Please don't <laughs> at us, Bill. Um, there's a bit where they start talking in Klingon, and we don't get a translation, but it's all right, I've translated it for you, because Gowron and Martok have this, ah, oh, Klingon, so what I think the translation is, fire the big green shit because the next thing that happens is they fire all this big green shit at Ops. <laughs> so I think that, that must have been the order that he was giving there. It's green shit. And it's that. also worth pointing out, this is the first time we see the new Klingon command ships in real time. Vulture. Because we saw them in all good things. Yeah, the Vulture class. The Vulture class. But now we because see it. Notice, like, this is done with models, so... Mm. If you notice, we get look. There's loads of D7s there, which is TNG. Sorry, TOS series ships. Yeah, but that was the model kit. That exactly. Was yeah, it's it's when they it's, it's, it's like yeah. it, it's nearly all birds of prey, uh, D7s, and we've got some Vulture classes. And I yeah. know you can get the Vulture class model as well, and that's what we had. Yeah. We had what model? What Klingon models can we get? Oh, we can get all these birds great. Oh, we can get yeah. all these these seven. Oh, yeah. They made an announcement as well when they said it's like, um, oh, that's new um, head of, of the uh, Klingon fleet. And you look at it, yeah. it's like, oh, it's the same as the other ships. It's like I, the way they announced it, 
Well, I think that... they were actually, it was the other way around. You wanted them to be announcing it because it was going to look different, a bit beefier. Well, but they're announcing does, it cause... so you could tell that that's actually a, the command of the... Yeah, but that's the one from All Good Things. So it's like, well, we've built this for a show. We need that model. Let's have that. Aside from the space battles then, oh, and incidentally, there is a great shot where we like, we follow a photon torpedo. The camera like follows it all the way from launch yeah, up to hitting. Yeah, it sort of goes a bit. And a couple of years later, uh, in the ship film Pearl Harbor, one of the few things everybody praised was there's a shot where a bomb's dropped and the camera follows the bomb all the way down. And it's like, nah, DS9 did that a couple of years ago, mate, so don't be giving <laughs> Michael Bay any kudos. Um, the I don't think fight... anyone got any kudos for Pearl Harbor. No, true. The hand-to-hand fighting's great as well. Like, the fighting ops is amazing. I love that Jadzia grabs a, uh, a bat left. A bat left. <laughs> and Kira, when she gets stabbed and she rags it out of her, her thigh and then stabs the Klingon with it, it just, yeah, brilliant <laughs> stuff. Sorry, rags it out sounds I... like you're saying something else. <laughs> True. <laughs> but the good guys win, and Galron... So you, you missed a bit, which I really love. I love the fact that, okay, it's so obviously uh, set up and payoff. But it's when you have that lovely little scene between uh, Odo and Oh, yes, Bashir. yeah. And, that, I mean, you know it's setting up to when Bashir then saves him's life because he has, yeah. actually is a bit handy with a phaser. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it is a nice little scene. It, it's, it's just like nice. a nod between them. And, yeah. I do like how, how Odo's there. If a Klingon kills me, I'd expect a full option. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That's, and there would be. Um, yeah. But, Again, Matok changeling argument. Gowron agrees to stand down because he's the only sensible thing by, to do. By the words of Kalos. Exactly. Like, but Matok is really not happy about it. So Matok's yeah. obviously like, shit, that was going so well. We nearly... And yeah, Gowron... Wolf like, goes to him, uh, in the words of Kalos, winning yeah. a war to lose an empire is not a victory. Yeah. And... Gowron just immediately knows the next part and he goes and uh, losing a battle defeat to, to save an empire is no loss I also like the fact that it, it puts the button on the fact that Worf has been brought in to save the day and yeah. he saves the day quite literally at the end and it's, it's a final brilliant yeah. Yeah. but Gowron Gowron gets his best payoff libraries. You have sided against us in battle, and this we do not forgive. Switch on the eyes, or forget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so brilliant. And then obviously we wrap up. So Cisco goes to see Worf. Worf's surprise, surprise, decided he's gonna stay on the station, which we didn't see coming. Um O'Brien does a bit of sucking up here, like you couldn't ask for a better command teacher, O'Brien. What about Captain Picard? Oh, no, he's the best as well. Shut up. Well, <laughs> to be fair, uh, O'Brien wouldn't have seen, probably won't have seen Picard like that because he's had more time. As no, I know. It's just O'Brien's very, whoever's in charge is the best. No, Picard yeah, kept well, in the trans transporter room for five well, well, years. True, yeah. I would like to throw in there, though, there is a point where, um, to, to James's point, when uh, he's on, when they have that episode with his previous commander, he says it's like, 
Oh, I credit myself with uh, having served with the two finest uh, captains in Starfleet. So, so now it's so the has, three. Now, now it's three. He's, he's like established himself as a kiss-up. He has. Three. Three. <laughs> there are three greatest captains in Starfleet. Four. There are four greatest captains. <laughs> what about that one which you were uh, entered for? Four. Four. There are four. <laughs> Among the greatest captains in Starfleet are Picard, Cisco, the other guy. Anyway. Um, and then, yeah, the Klingons refusing to give up the territory. So we've had the big fucking battle but this is going to be our part of our arc plot now so they're not giving it up and Cisco finishes this episode very much as he did the Jem'Hadar episode where he basically says we're not going anywhere either and yeah. there you go there's you set up for the next arc in DS9 there's you set up for the season and if you were a new fan coming over from TNG Welcome to DS9. You're in for a yeah, hell of a um, ride from this point on. And we know it doesn't feature a lot of the Dominion, but when you look at how this is manipulated by the Dominion... Oh, it's all there. Of, this whole thing has been is manipulated from outside by Dominion. Yeah, it absolutely. Like we said, it's they've gone, okay, network, you're telling us we have to do this, but we're still going to do that. We're just going to find yeah, a way of doing do your thing war. as part of it as well. So, If you want the Klingons involved in a Dominion War, more ships the better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is going to cost you, what was it at the time, $7 million? It, this was, I think it might have even been 12 or something. Yeah, something which really. maybe doesn't sound a lot nowadays. No, that's... This was made in, what, 95, 96? Yeah. Which can was I, can I also, ridiculous money. Yeah. I'd also like to throw into this that I know we don't um, uh, do this really in this, uh, on this podcast, but this is a straight up 10 out of 10. Like oh. you know, there's very few yeah. episodes of Star Trek in the Pantheon, which really hit that height. You know, there's obviously those classic episodes of the original series, but um, it's really a straight up 10 out of 10. There is not Absolutely. a deep missed. There's no, not a point missed. There's not a performance missed. There's, and there's also nothing thrown in that shouldn't be there. No, no filler. There's no, no, no filler. There's no filler, yeah. silly little Which, bit. given that you're resetting everything and you're putting in all these points to like, go, this, like, get this character, have... this has, who this character is, it could have felt forced. But when you're watching this in the original run, you didn't think about it no. at the time. It's only it's now when we're watching it with a critical eye. When you watch it back, it doesn't feel forced at all. It no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel forced, but you do notice this is, oh, like this is a reset of that character. This is the reset yeah. of that character. They're telling you who they are. It's like yeah, the, it's one of the few. Forced and it's, and, and yeah. it work, all works in the story. No, none of it's jarring. That is, going, that is not going to see somebody just for the sake of bringing that, beating that character for the no, I mean, if you look at it, like, Jake Sisko's not in this episode. There's just no room for him, you know. Rom's it, not in this episode. Rom's not in it. Well, they're secondary characters. Like, you don't mind them getting introduced later. Like, uh, uh, Rom, Rom isn't in it. He just gets mentioned. Yeah, yeah but exactly. Rom's very involved. Uh, like I said, when we was with the pistol, what he's done, it's, it's a forbearer of how important his... <laughs> Yeah. Engineering is going to be in the future. Is that absolutely that, yeah. spot on, one piece of writing? The greatest engineers, the Federation. I mean, there's there's very few pilots which do it this well, to be frank. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the few I can think of is actually bizarre, Paul, but 
I've always thought the Cheers pilot is a great example of like every character gets introduced and you know who they yeah, are. Yeah, I'm saying watching but it, Cheers, but actually. it feels like part of the episode. Oh, I love Cheers. It's it's my it, favorite show. It holds up so well. Like, uh, but I, I've watched yeah, them so many times. It just humorous called into Paramount. Yeah. The only thing which really annoys me is the fact that because I know it so well, because I used to watch it as a kid, I've watched it back so many times. Mm. I know exactly every time when they've had to replace the music for streaming or... Right, or yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, like, Only Fools and Horses as well, I'd always know. Well, there's it. one where they play, like, it's it's winding up... Sorry, this is very off topic. There's one where they're playing this tune on this Ghetto Blaster, which was I Fought the Law and the Law 1. They play it on the jukebox. They play it loads of places to try and wind up Becky in one of the later episodes. Right. And they replace that, and the song which they've got makes no sense to wind yeah. her up for that. It's a shame with stuff like that. Like that's why Moonlighting's probably never going to be released ever again because there's too much licensed music in it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, which... you can join me for re-cheersing later. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so if you've not watched Way of the Warrior in a while, go watch it. It absolutely. If you've never watched up. it, what's wrong with you? Stop watching us now. It's yeah. on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's on Paramount. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just wait five minutes, then watch. Yeah, come on, we're minutes. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. They can hang on. An apocalypse while we've been on. Yeah, unless something's gone down. Absolutely. You might discourage the viewers from going away from your own broadcast. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, I'll even go. Can I just? Of course. Sorry, sorry, mate. I know you're trying to wind up. Uh, just a very quick one. Just to say, I watched this episode as part of a generic rewatch of DS9, uh, which I've actually just got back for, to inspired by this. But um, just months ago, and it was still a fucking amazing watch. And that's not easy when you've just watched no. it so recently. Just absolutely, just yeah. Like I, I've only had for various reasons this week. I've had, I've got sidetracked with things, so I've only watched it once this week. Yeah, <laughs> but I've watched it just before this show, and it felt yeah. fresh. Yeah, absolutely. But I've seen it so many times. I wouldn't like to think how many times I've watched this episode. No, I agree. Yeah, it's it is a very very special episode. But next week we're going to carry on with the Dominion War. Uh, the next two episodes we'll be looking at will be Hippocratic Oath and Starship Down. So couple more D, uh, couple more DS nine, couple more Dominion War to look at. In the meantime, you can reach out to us retrekpod at gmail.com, at retrekpod on Twitter. Come and join us on Facebook. Check out the YouTube channels. Doctor Squee, what have we got on the Doctor Squee show? I mean, just just throw out uh, Retrek Modeling Studios as well. Bloody fantastic! Always a, a wonderful watch. Yeah, um, I'll check it a video but- out. Tomorrow, please tune in. Um, I'm going to be interviewing Colin Sell. So for people who know who he is, he has been on uh, the channel, the Radio 4, sorry, um, radio show, I'm Sorry I'm a Clue, which has been going for almost, I think it's approaching 60 years now. I think it's been going. And he came in like three series in. So he's been doing all that time. He has uh, worked with the greats in composing as well, as well as being a um, music teacher. Sorry, I just grew up listening to this show and um, I listened to it with my dad's and I know many people have that experience. So if you are a fan of I'm Sorry, I Haven't Clue or even just great composers, please do uh, join me tomorrow night at six. 
I'll be doing that live on all my uh, social medias. And I'll be on um, the Dr. Squeeze Show radio show on sw20.co.uk next Tuesday at 6 p.m. And we we have uh, And let's all not forget to put in our diaries September the 10th and September the 11th for Squeeze Fest 4. Yes. um, This year for uh, Shelter UK. Thank you, sir. I will be uh, making the first guest announcement um, this Saturday. Oh, excellent. So keep an eye on our socials and you'll find out all about that. We'll be there. We haven't, we're not fully locked in place what we're going to talk about yet. But um, (laughs) we'll be there. Yeah, there's this talk of something a bit different, wasn't there? Maybe. Maybe. Something really cool. Watch this space and thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the retrek. Thank you. Bye.